Whatever it is you want to do in life, you'll be able to do. It's always you versus you. That it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, you can achieve anything that you set your mind to. Spend the rest of your natural life waking up and going after it. This is my purpose, and you will not stop me. You are listening to Mojo Sports. Yeah, hello and welcome to Mojo Sports. This is episode 17. My name is Dan Frost, and as always, I'm supported by the best panel in the business. Tonight, we've got a full house. We've got Alex, we've got Beck, and we've got Stacey. And guys, let's get straight into it, because off the top, you know, a lot of the things we've been talking about so far is some of the inconsistency that's happening in in the league and some of the unexpected records. So that's my question tonight, is which team doesn't exactly reflect their records? Stacey, you're going to throw it straight to you. Oh, yes. Man, my mine is the Bengals. Are the, are the Bengals good? Like that is my question because they haven't been for so long. Um, they're three and one. They're sitting tied third for the first place in the division. Um, Joe Burrows is is you know doing his thing. He's been really really awesome. But uh, it's definitely not a not somewhere where you see the Bengals often. So this is super exciting. For yeah, me. no, it, it definitely catches your eye when you're looking through the through the tables and you see the Bengals at the top. There's just something about it that doesn't quite sit right. So probably a good call out there. Uh, look for me, I'm going to go with the Dolphins, and maybe it's because I'm a bit of a battered Patriots supporter. Because regardless of how great we're doing, we always lose to Miami in Miami. That's been our thing. So I often see them at their best. And you know, I'm an Alabama supporter. I do believe in Tua. Bit of a difficult situation there. So, um, yeah, obviously their their record's pretty poor at the moment. They've only won one game, but they're not that bad. I've actually got huge wraps on their coach more than anything, Brian Flores. I think he's a great operator. Um, they're just having a few teething issues. I think they'll they'll sneak up uh, there in the AFC East. Beck, what about you? Again, weird things are happening in the NFL at the moment. Which team doesn't really reflect their record? So many weird things happening right now, including the Broncos. Like they're three and one, but are they actually a three and one team? Like we look at their schedule. They've had a pretty easy start to their schedule. Then they come up against an actual competitive team in the Ravens and they go down like 20, I think it was 27 to three or something. Teddy Bridgewater went out with a concussion and Drew Locke had to step in, but still to go from three and oh to losing 23, seven. I just don't know if the Broncos are good. And the football gods, they've got a sick sense of humor because, you know, the, the Broncos got a great defense. They're, they're amazing and everyone was suspect on Teddy and he was kind of doing okay. And then they just got completely wiped out with injuries. So I think, yeah, I think you're onto something back there. I think they've got a little bit of a tough road ahead with, uh, yeah, we, with with that situation there. Alex, what about yourself? Uh, Washington, sitting two and two. Above the Eagles, who are sitting one and three. Like, I mean, I had to kind of pick both because, like, it just seems weird, but I mean, with the way that Washington been playing, like they came into the league kind of like with this big bolstered defense, you did really, really well. And, you know, there, there was a lot of potential for them to be really, really good. And it's just fallen flat. Like, and, and maybe that comes down to injuries, but to be sitting two and two, you know, with an Eagles team sitting behind them, who I would say are just a little bit better. I don't know. It's a weird season. The first four weeks. All right, guys, let's jump into our first segment tonight, The Huddle. Leave no regrets out there. That is what a real champion is made of. And for the Philadelphia Eagles, the long drought is over. How about those trees? A touchdown and a title for the Patriots. I can't believe it. They have completed the 
comeback in Super Bowl history. Those will be the best memories. Yeah, and each week on the huddle, we pick a team to feature. And this week, we're going to San Fran, the San Francisco 49ers. Alex, we could spend the entire episode uh, talking about their head coach, Kyle Shanahan. And that's kind of where I want to start because, you know, he, he's um, you know he's a unique character. He is special. But I, I guess even, even, uh, even NFL fans that don't necessarily support the 49ers we're all just waiting for him to get that, get that team, get that quarterback, so that he, so that he can really show what he's got to offer. But yeah, let's start with Kyle, and yeah, tell us a little bit more about him and um, his impact there in San Fran. Yeah, I think he's he's done well. You know, he's there's. I think we kind of come into the season sometimes for Niners and kind of people kind of sleep on them a little bit, and I think he's a big part of kind of leading them quietly through the league, if you will. Like, you know, no one comes into every season and goes, the 49ers, have you seen them? They look phenomenal. Like, it just doesn't happen year in, year out, right? But I think he's one of those coaches where, you know, his core of his offense is is, is quietly really, really good. I think they've got some pretty good depth, somewhat good depth in certain positions that they need to have some depth in. Um, I mean – he he's he's done well there you know I, I like him as a 49ers coach but I also like him because you know when we kind of look at phenomenal amazing coaches he's not always in the conversation and the 49ers aren't always in the conversation of you know great phenomenal teams and I think that's what kind of makes his team consistently a solid squad and that comes down to his coaching because he just he just they kind of like mull along and they do well and they put up big wins. And I think that just comes down to the coaching staff and who he has around him and the types of coaches that, that he has in his defense and his offense. And I think that I mean Carl Shanahan is is one of the you know greatest defensive minds, I think, in football at the moment. And you know, his um, you know, his philosophy around his play action style running and continually putting the defense in conflict. Um, is just like you expect them to be better, especially given that they've got Kittle, they've got Garoppolo, and they've got some Debo Samuel. They've got uh, all these, uh, you know, explosive players on their team. But at the, you know, they just they just can't stop getting injured. Like what is in the water down there? We've said it before. Yeah, Beck, that, that was the point that I was going to raise. Is that you know one of the things that really tests coaches is you know it's all it's all fun and games when you've got your full fit squad and and especially if you're real you know if, if you're one of the better teams in the competition which uh, the 49ers are you know you're always kind of you know there or thereabouts but you know San Francisco just get annihilated year in year out when it comes to injuries I don't know I don't know what's happening and it's not just one side of the ball it, it just feels like every side and so I, I guess my point is you know Kyle's ability to continue to purely coach up players who are not superstars who are not big names and and keep this team competitive. It's it's pretty remarkable, and I, I guess you know we, we'll also touch on their uh, their little sneaky Super Bowl uh, appearance as well. But a, again, a really good coaching job there by Kyle over the last couple of years. Yeah, going back to what Alex said, and having that depth in that team is super key. And I think Kyle Shanahan is one of the type of coaches that looks beyond the starters and looks into that depth because of because of this issue of constantly having injuries coming up. I mean, all teams deal with injuries, yeah, but I just I think the 49ers are just super unlucky and just have some key players go out. Like we just seen Jimmy Garoppolo go out with that calf injury and they had to bring in their rookie quarterback, Trey Lance, to play out the second half. And I think this is a testament to their coaching outside of just 
their head coach. Like, I think it comes down to like, you look at the coaches for their practice squad, you look at the defensive coordinator and their offense coordinator, you know, and they're sound because with the likes of kind of Bosa going out last year, you have Garoppolo out now. You've got Elijah Mitchell, who's still kind of injured with a shoulder, you know. So, and they've still got players that can come in and and make an impact. So I think it, it just it's a testament to their coaching and their behind the and what they do behind the scenes outside of their stars and outside of those key players that they have, like. You know, sometimes you kind of watch teams and you go, oh, it looks like their key players get a little bit more than maybe kind of those rookies or those lower level players. But with San Francisco to be able to bring players in like they do and have that consistency and not have it really drop their standard, it just shows that that coaching is like the attention to details across the board. It's not just to the likes of Kittle or Debo Samuel or you know, those star players. It's to everybody. And I think that's kind of the key to, to their su- success, if you will. And I yeah, think I was, you, no, you go back. You go back. Sorry. I was just going to say that it definitely shows that what they are doing is working because without, with all these injuries happening, they're still a competitive team. Like they're in probably the hardest division in the NFC East. East? Yes. West. NFC West, West. yeah. Yeah, um, NFC West. And they're two and two and two, which isn't horrible start to the season for what they're going through. And they're actually still playing competitive against these teams. And I think that Trey Sermon, I think, has just been such a great addition for them. Like, I really like him. Um, I think he's put up some, you know, his production's been all right for the last couple Very of the games. I mean, we, I mean, if we're going to talk about players right now, can we please talk about Debo Samuel? Like, yes. this hey. receiver right hey. now is, like, really, really fun to watch, right? He, he leads all players in receiving yards through four games. 490 receiving yards and other 49ers played this through four games was Jerry Rice. Like the comparisons between him and Jerry Rice are like really cool to kind of read, right? In 88, Rice had 20 receptions, 476 yards, four touchdowns in the first four weeks. Now you go to 21 Debo Samuel. He's got 28 receptions, 490 yards, three touchdowns in his first four weeks. And then there's like a weird kind of crazy stat where, Rice had 163 receiving yards against the Seahawks in week four, and Debo had 156 receiving yards in week four against the Seahawks. So I don't know. For me, if I was Debo Samuel, and I'm kind of being compared to Jerry Rice a little bit, who is a phenomenal receiver in, in, in all respects for the 49ers, you know, that's, that's pretty good company to be having your, you know, your name kind of intertwined with, with Jerry Rice. Not to mention he's been able to do that with two different quarterbacks in the first two weeks, four weeks. So just the connection that he has and the route running that he's doing and the work that he's doing on and off the field clearly is playing dividends for Debo Samuel. I mean, I think it's a little bit unfortunate that their defense is is not great right now. And, um, you know, they're, you know, they conceded, you know, 17th. Yards con- seven tied seventeenth for defensive yards conceded. Um, I mean they they need they need more than Nick Bosa is basically what I'm saying. You know their pass rush is is great with D Ford and Nick Bosa, but they need more than that. Now that they've lost, you know Richard Sherman, yes he's getting on, but he was still excellent. He's gone to the Bucks now. I think that leaves a little bit um, for their secondary to kind of match up uh, just to replace him. And, and from a veteran standpoint, I think. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Their defense definitely needs somebody outside of, of Bosa. But I do think that 
Warner and D Ford are kind of stepping up there as far as kind of those supporting players. But again, they're not in that secondary, right? So as you said, their their pass rush defense is good. They're ranked fourth coming into the league last year. They only allowed 4.8 yards per carry last year. And like that's a pretty impressive stat to come into where they haven't really changed much of their line. They've just got a healthy Nick Bosa back. But that secondary really, really just kind of needs to help them out a bit more for sure. Yeah, and to Stacey's point, we mark them on a different scale. You know, when we think about the 49ers, we we expect them to be the absolute top of the NFL. And when they're kind of average and they're floating sort of down, you know, there's a lot of franchises that would take that, not the 49ers. And I know that Kyle wouldn't be particularly happy about that. Um, all right, guys, well, let's have a bit of a look at the quarterback situation because, you know, I, I think it was... For me, you know, your your coaching uh, tells the fans and tells the audience a lot about how you feel about your quarterback. And 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 very very early on, we knew from the way in which that Kyle was calling the games that uh, you know Jimmy G wouldn't be his long term quarterback. You know, there was you know a lack of trust there, especially in some of the bigger games as they you know obviously um, infamously you know uh, made their way to a Super Bowl, weren't able to compete with Patrick Mahomes, and uh, you know there was obviously a few limitations there, but. Alex, I'm going to go to you on this one because talk us through this situation. I mean, one of the things that I think is being overlooked is that the 49ers have given up their future from a draft perspective to bring Trey Lance into the franchise. We get it. You've got to time it. The timing's going to be everything. He's flashed. He showed a lot of football. And we've spoken about Trey in the past. This kid has not played any football, so he's still a little bit of an unknown it's a little bit of a mess. It's probably a, it's probably a good problem to have, but talk us through, I guess, your opinion on the quarterback situation there for San Fran. Yeah, I think what's tough for San Fran, I think, as you mentioned, he hasn't played much football. He didn't play much college football with injuries and limited playing and, and all of that. So we don't really know what he's like on the field, right? We don't know, is he a, is he a quarterback that's going to sit and pass? Is he a quarterback that's going to move? Based on kind of the first four weeks and the pockets of game time that he has, He's not a quarterback that's going to sit in the pocket. And I think that might be a little bit of a downfall for his because I don't know if the line can adjust to him just yet. And I think they're used to having quarterbacks kind of sit in the pocket. And, and it is an adjustment as a line to have to shift to that because you got to be mindful of, is he rolling out of the pocket? You know, and, and you don't want to get called on those holding fouls either while you're waiting for him to get out, if he is going to get out, you know, and I think, that's a little bit of a struggle for them. I think what it might be a little bit of an issue for the 49ers, and if I was a 49ers fan, is that Trey Lance wasn't expect he was only expected to see small portions of offense this year in regards to him learning, understanding the playbook, and building that. And I think that was a good scenario for him. Having not played much football, doesn't have the college repertoire that the other rookie quarterbacks do, I think this is a good system. Have him sit, give him little bits of playing time so he understands what's going on. But I think him going in, and I know it's only a calf injury, but, you know, if Garoppolo can stay injury-free, injury-free, cross my fingers on that one, but it's it's a tough one for Trey. Alex, that's a really good point about the the two quarterbacks because often what's challenging is when – You've got different styles, and they're at San Francisco. You couldn't get two different quarterbacks if you tried. Jimmy G, Trey Lance, it, it, it's just it's very difficult to just flip that around. So totally get your point there, and it's something that, um, yeah, it's something that, you know, the 49ers definitely going to have to deal with. 
Guys, look, for me, I think one thing to keep an eye on is their schedule. Uh, to your point, if Jimmy G can just hold on for a few more games to get through um, a difficult little patch for San Fran, their their schedule opens right up at the back end of the season. If they can just get through the next few, I think you can put Trey Lance into a really good situation in the next month or so. All right, guys, well, each week in the huddle, we've got to sort of look forward and try and predict the record for the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, we mentioned uh, they're at 500 at the moment. Alex, going to start with you. What, what's your prediction for San Fran this year? Um, you know, obviously there's a lot of talent. There's there's the, the injuries that happen every year. Uh, yeah, what's your prediction? Um, I think they're going to rack up some wins towards the end of the season. As you said, like their, their schedule kind of opens up. But I think with kind of – if they can stay healthy through this first couple of strong weeks, you know, I could see them going 10 and 7, 11 and 6. Um, so with that, I'm going to go 10 and seven. Um, but my one concern would a be injuries and b closing out games because they doubled the Seahawks as far as, sorry, back as far as kind of their passing yards and running yards last week in week four. So that to put up those kind of numbers and not win, I think it's going to be that, that finishing for them and making sure they're not kind of killing themselves on turnovers. Yeah, look, for me, this was a tricky one. I wanted to say 10 wins, but it just feels feels a little bit far away at the moment for San Fran. So I'm going to pull them back a game, and I'm going to say nine wins, and that just covers me for all of the the weird and wonderful things that typically have uh, happen to a 49ers team. But, uh, yeah, look, wouldn't be surprised if they could could sneak up there to double digits. Uh, Beck, what about yourself? What's your predicted record? Um, Can I just start by saying that the only stat that matters is the dub at the end of the game. So I don't care how many yards they put up, Seattle still came away with the win. Um, In saying that, I also think that the 49ers are probably the weakest team in this division. Um, They're still going to come away with a winning record. I still, I'm going to go with you, Dan, and say about nine and eight. Um, But yeah, I just, injuries. Also, I forgot that their kicker is injured and they're looking for a new kicker for the next few weeks. So these tough games coming up could come down to special teams these next three, four weeks. And if they don't have a kicker that can help finish them close games, then yeah, it's going to be a tough, tough run for them. So yeah. nine and eight. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Stace? Yeah, I'm, I'm along the same lines as you guys, except I'm going to go with the, the 10 and seven. Um, I think for them to be successful, then they really need to keep players healthy, obviously. Um, but they really need to look at using, you know, Mohamed Sanu a little bit more, I think, especially in that special teams role. Um, and whether they can actually get some, a little bit more production out of Kyle Juszczyk, who's actually like, I love him as a, as a fullback, catching passes, like, you know, he's next level. So, but it's going to be rough. Kyle Shanahan's got a, a tough road ahead of him, that's for sure. All right, guys, well, let's jump into our next segment, which is the match. The most anticipated match in history, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Yeah, and this week on the match, well, we've got two of the heavyweights from a defensive perspective. Uh, Alex, I'm going to throw this straight to you because, yeah, we have Khalil Mack from your beloved Chicago Bears coming up against, well, one of the most impressive young players coming through in the NFL, and that's Chase Young from the, the Washington football team. Um, yeah, going to hand the reins straight to you. Uh, talk to us about Khalil Mack because, yeah, 30 years of age, but he has had some sort of career already. Yeah, I feel like I should have my Mac jersey on right now, um, but I don't. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's just, he's a force. Like, 
And, and when I'm watching the Bears play and I'm watching the defense, I just sit and I just watch 52 because he's just so exciting. And I just love watching him, especially when he's trying to break through that line. Cause I'm like, he's going to get him. He's going to get him. Like his first step, you can normally see based on his first step. If Kellamax going to get through that line and it's always fun watching him get the sack. It was great watching him get the sack on Brady last year in the Bears win over the Bucks. That was extremely, extremely satisfying. Um, now, as a Bears fan, just that signing alone from the Raiders when Matt came over, that was a great signing for the Bears. I mean, this is a guy that is a 16-time Pro Bowler. You know, last year he led the team in sacks with nine. He recorded at least one sack through four straight games, week five through week eight. Like, he has 47 tackles nine sacks, one safety, one interception, and three forced fumbles. And that's just his stats last year, you know, right now. And he was ranked 23rd in the top 100. So it's nice to kind of break that 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 top 25 for defensive player, and especially when he's wearing the Bears colors. Love that. Right now he's got four sacks underneath him, and he's just – he's just one of those players where he's just, he's so fun to watch and he brings like such a hype with him. And I think he's someone that has really led that defensive line in Chicago, you know, a defensive line that had some solid players, but were struggling a little bit. He's just kind of gone in there and led by example. Yeah. I was going to say how shocked I was when the Raiders actually let him go because he's a player that you want to keep on your defense. Like I was dumbfounded when Raiders traded him away and the Bears picked him up like a great pickup for you guys because he is a great defensive player and I feel like he's one of those guys who's like slowly not slowly sorry but like getting better as he gets older and I think the transition over to the Bears made him a better player maybe he wasn't quite shining at the Raiders like he still had great stats over there in his first four years but I think coming over to the Bears he's just shone so bright at the defensive end position. And I think you see that too with the Bears line is that when you have like likes of Quinn coming through and Hicks coming through, who are big guys, you know, there are times where you watch Mac and he doesn't have to do it on his own. He's like, I'll, I'll help you. And like the two of them just like go in at it. And it's just, it's fun to watch. But I agree with you. He's someone that just kind of, he gets better and better kind of as the season has gone on. And I think he's really kind of progressed as he's been with the Bears. And I think that has to do with the fact that he's not doing it all by himself, right? Like, Quinn can go in and get get a sack, you know, and Hicks can go in and break through that line. And Hicks is the big guy. Like that is a guy you do not want coming after you as as a quarterback. And and you see it sometimes. Hicks kind of directs the quarterbacks like into Mac. He's like, "Well, I'm gonna come chase you," and then Mac like finishes it off. So I, I love, yeah, I just I just love watching Mac play. Um, I think what makes Khalil Mac and and you know he joins such a long long list of um, you just elite talent. Uh, his signature moves, right? And for anyone that's like doesn't necessarily watch the defensive line too closely, um, you know, it, it's, it really is. It's all technique oversize. And Khalil Mack is a massive dude, but he wants to create this space. He's crazy big. He's crazy fast. And, uh, you know, he uses that technique to, uh, again, what um, Alex was saying, is allow the rest of the line to come through and start making some, you know, what he has you know, dropped in his sack allowance for the last couple of the last season or so, he's let the other D linemen on the team make up for, which is excellent. 
I just want to mention as well, like he had a great rookie year, but in his second year, he um, made his first pro, pro Bowl and was also the first player in NFL history to be named a first team all pro in two different positions. So not only is he great at defensive end and being one of the best in the league in his second year, but he's also being one of the best linebackers in the league in his second year as well. Like that's an insane thing to be doing. Yeah, no, he's absolutely elite. And I think, you know, you look at the price uh, that Chicago paid. I mean, it, it, it was big. It was two firsts, a sixth, and a third round pick. I mean, that, 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 that's a lot. But you get what you pay for in this life. And, you know, Khalil Mack, he's six foot three, 267 pounds, 121 kilos for Aussie fans. And he runs 4.65. I, I, I don't, that just doesn't make sense on any level. But we see it week in, week out in the NFL. And uh, that's what makes him um, special. All right, guys. Well, speaking about special, let's throw it over to his competitor tonight. And that is Chase Young uh, for the Washington football team. Again, a little bit taller than Khalil Mack at 6'5". I mean, this guy just jumps off the screen. He is absolutely devastating. You know, that he, he found himself in an interesting position. I mean, you wouldn't necessarily say that Washington is any sort of powerhouse in the NFL, but, you know, he, he still made uh, quite an impact so far. Alex, I'm going to throw it straight at you because, you know, you see Khalil Mack week in, week out. You get to see Chase Young play. You know, do, do you see a little bit of a crossover elements there in terms of quality and play? Yeah, I do. And I think what's fun kind of watching Chase Young and watching Khalil Mack is you kind of see like that younger generation kind of coming through and you kind of go, well, you know, there's resemblance of that when Khalil Mack was a rookie and kind of in his first year and what Chase has been able to do. I think and, and where I'm going to be a little bit critical on him is his he needs kind of like other supporters, I think, in his defense. I think Chase Young is kind of that face that Washington defense a little bit. And I think that's maybe a deterrent to him right now, especially when he's only in his second year. And he was lights out at, at Ohio State. So, you know, watching him in the scarlet and gray for the last couple of years was, was really fun for me as an Ohio State fan. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to see him a little bit more utilize his defense a little bit more with him. And I think right now he's been a little quiet uh, in his second season. And I th- I'm a little – like that concerns me a little bit as far as the potential he has as a player, you know, can he have some support in that defense versus him doing it all himself? I think what's interesting though with Chase Young is that he was compared to Khalil Mack coming out of college and coming into the draft. And we're seeing similar things come out of him in his first couple of seasons. He's taken, he joins Khalil Mack on a list uh, where he became the fourth player and first rookie in the NFL to record at least two games with at least one fumble recovery, a forced fumble, a sack, and a pass defended since stats were first recorded. So he's on that list with Khalil Mack, Jason Taylor, and Julius Peppers. So he's he's so fun to watch, and he's just such a beast. Oh, man, he's terrifying, but so fun. If the comparisons are right, then we're going to see great things out of Chase Young because we're seeing amazing things out of Khalil Mack. Yeah, 100%. And in his final year at Ohio State, he had 46 tackles, 21 tackles for loss, 16 and a half sacks, six forced fumbles. Like, he was an absolute beast. I mean, and that's why he went second overall in the draft, like, and rightly so. But, yeah, as you said, like, to be compared to Matt coming into the draft, to be in that list of, of players, you know, who who are, who are phenomenal players to watch, he just has such a good future for him 
Um, and I'm excited to see him kind of grow. I mean, it's only week four, so I get that he's probably, you know, kind of quiet a little bit, but I'd like to see him kind of really explode kind of the remainder of the season and see what, what he can do, because I think he's capable of some phenomenal, phenomenal things as a defender. Yeah. I think if you're going to put a bet on Washington football team defense to score, definitely watch out for Chase Young because he's a turnover machine waiting to happen. Yeah, and, and Alex, back to your point on the draft, I think, you know, sometimes you can get a little bit lucky with draft classes, you know, like, and, and, and can be quite challenging, you know, for some of those top teams in, ter- in terms of trying to, um, you know, take players. But, you know, when you see a player like Chase Young, it is it is so simple. You can basically, uh, you know, uh, write, write that card, uh, write your ballot paper uh, prior to the night and uh, and submit that, feeling very, very good about yourself. Um, look, for me, uh, you know, in the match, we cannot sit on the fence. We've got to pick our player it's a little bit of a tricky one for me. I actually like the adversity that Chase is going to go through, it appears, this season. I actually think that could be the making of him. So at the moment, I think it's a little bit of an unfair fight because Khalil Mack is just miles ahead. Um, I think Chase is in a little bit of a down period at the moment. But, you know, whilst I'm going Khalil Mack today, if you ask me this question next year, I think it could be a little bit different. So Khalil Mack for me. Um, Beck, what about yourself? Yeah, this is a super tough one because, like you said, Khalil Mack has the history and the stats and all that already established in the league behind him. And then we're seeing Chase Young come up and try and establish himself as an individual, not compared to anyone else in this Washington defense that is struggling a little bit this year. Um, I I really like Khalil Mack. Like I do. I liked him at the Raiders and I like him at the Bears, but I'm going to go with Chase Young just because I feel like he has the potential to outplay Khalil Mack with the the new coaches and the new way that football is being played against these mobile quarterbacks and these offenses that are doing different things now, it might open some more opportunities for him to get some more sacks and some more tackles. I'm with Beck on this one. I'm a, I'm going to chase Young because I just think his ceiling is so high. And uh, exactly what you said, Beck, about him being that next generation of player that's going to um, cope with the style of offenses that we've got now, like his signature move is that deadly like swipe and rip kind of move, um, which makes him perfect for getting to the outside and rushing down a, you know, getting the quarterback who's scrambling outside the pocket. So I'm going for Chase Young, doing it for the young one. Alex, this is an interesting one because this is your NFL team favourite up against your college team favourite player. So uh, where does your loyalty sit? And, uh, yeah, this is going to be a little bit of an interesting one for you, Mac or Young. Can I plead the fifth if I don't leave the United States? Because, like, I'm looking I don't know. I don't know. I can't, like, I, I think I have just based on experience and because of the system he's in, I think Khalil Mack. All right, guys, let's jump into our final segment tonight, Rapid Fire. And we're going to talk all about that and a whole bunch of other things. What you need to know tonight. Sincere apologies to Matt Damon. We ran out of time for him tonight. We'll get him on the air again soon. Oh, my boss is singing closing time. Maybe that's what you're doing. Yeah, and this week on Rapid Fire, we've got an interesting question to reflect on, and that is, well, what is what is the best rivalry in the NFL I'm going to lead off with the Steelers versus the Browns, a little bit of a different one, and it's from a different perspective. I think for a lot of years we've seen Pittsburgh punish Cleveland year after year after year, but the tables are slightly turning, and I I just find that interesting looking from the outside looking in. I think, you know, obviously Pittsburgh are going through their struggles at the moment, and finally, after what seems like the longest rebuild in sporting history, Cleveland is slowly putting things together. So for me, I find that to be a bit of a fun rivalry in the NFL. Um, Stacey, what about yourself? 
I have gone with the Patriots and the Jets rivalry. Um, you know, it's a, it's a fascinating rivalry because it's gone back for, you know, years and years and years and years. But, you know, essentially there's really not far, you know, 170 miles distance that separates the Patriots stadium from MetLife Stadium. Um, you know, even when it's not a good game, it's always a good game. Um, and then now having Belichick, having coached at Jets and now at the Patriots, that's an interesting kind of spin on it. But now they've both got these new Gen Z kind of quarterbacks, um, you know, with each team, I think it's 51 and 52. I think the Jets are up by one in terms of the rivalry. Um, so, yeah, that's mine. And it's it's just a it's, it's a great game to watch because it's just it gets a little bit heated. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what would have been had Belichick had stayed at the Jets, things would have been a little bit different there for that franchise. What about yourself, Beck? Yeah, I'm going kind of down your road, but the Steelers Ravens. So in the last like 10 years or so that I've been watching football, I've always really enjoyed watching them match up and um, go head to head against each other. I really like both their coaches. I like their offense. I like their defense. They're super competitive when they come up against each other. Um, You're guaranteed an epic game when you see the Steelers and the Ravens come up against each other. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Alex? It's got to be Bears v. Packers. Like it, just, it just has to be. Um, you know, that's a rivalry that spans 201 games. Unfortunately, the Packers, you know, kind of outwin the Bears there with 101. The Bears have 98, you know, and they had six ties. So, and, and that's a rivalry that kind of brings a lot of, like most rivalries do, it brings a lot of heat, brings a lot of angst in the games. And, and, and you can kind of see it on the field, like, you know, I, I don't like Green Bay. I really don't like Green Bay. And I used to always make sure I was home in Chicago when I was in college for, pack, for Packers v. Chicago. And, and we'd just sit on the couch and watch it in our Bears gear. So for me, it's got to be Bears v. Packers. What, what makes that the rivalry, though, Alex? Like, what, what, is, it about, what is it about that that, that has made that rivalry? It's just the rivalry. Like, I mean, they sit with cheese on their head. Like, come on. And yeah, if I was a bear, I'd eat that. <laughs> so worst reasoning ever, but okay. <laughs> it's a great. I mean, it's just you just look at the history. You know, it's like one of those kind of franchises that you know the the bears have. You know, from eighty five to eighty eight, they were kind of the 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 big dogs, and then for you know for Green Bay, they've been the big dogs for a while. And I think when the the bears beat the packers in the last couple of years it, it's a big deal you know it's just one of those rivalries where you don't necessarily know where it pinpointed or why it pinpointed there but it's just like you throw on your bears gear and you know you don't like the guy sitting next to who's a packers fan that's yeah. just how it goes and, and i think what's interesting about these rivalries is you know green bay have definitely had the edge for quite a quite a while because they've had that little quarterback there in aaron Rodgers. but you know maybe the tables will turn soon you know he's not going to be well, he's not going to be in Green Bay for much longer. And, uh, you know, things are looking a little bit different there with Justin Fields slowly coming through. So can Chicago get a little bit of revenge on, on Green Bay moving into the future? Definitely one to watch. All right, guys. Well, that's all the time we have tonight. just want to thank my amazing panel, always bringing the heat as we talk all things NFL. And to our listeners, we hope you enjoyed tonight's episode. If you did, please download the podcast, share it with family and friends, and please find us on social media. We're available on all platforms. And until next week, we'll see you then. You have been listening to Mojo Sports. 
Thank you for your support. It is very much appreciated. The team and I are trying to build something a little different here, so everyone's support is very much appreciated. Continue to support the podcast, download, subscribe, check out our social media channels, give us a follow, and be sure to tell your friends about Australia's best-kept secret. This is Mojo Sports.